Chapter Nineteen of Book Eight of Les Misérables, Volume Three, by Victor Hugo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bruce Peary. Les Misérables, Volume Three, by Victor Hugo. Translated by Isabel Florence Hapgood. Book Eight: The Wicked Poor Man. Chapter Nineteen occupying one's self with obscure depths. Hardly was Monsieur Leblanc seated when he turned his eyes towards the pallets which were empty. How is the poor little wounded girl? he inquired. Bad, replied Jondrette with a heart-broken and grateful smile. Very bad, my worthy sir. Her elder sister has taken her to the bourbe to have her hurt dressed. You will see them presently. They will be back immediately. Madame Fabantou seems to me to be better, went on Monsieur Leblanc, casting his eyes on the eccentric costume of the Jondrette woman, as she stood between him and the door, as though already guarding the exit, and gazed at him in an attitude of menace and almost of combat. She is dying, said Jondrette, but what do you expect, sir? She has so much courage, that woman has. She's not a woman, she's an ox. The Jondrette, touched by his compliment, deprecated it with the affected airs of a flattered monster. "'You are always too good to me, Monsieur Jondrette.' "'Jondrette,' said Monsieur Leblanc, "'I thought your name was Fabantou.' "'Fabantou alias Jondrette,' replied the husband hurriedly, an artistic sobriquet, and, launching at his wife a shrug of the shoulders which Monsieur Leblanc did not catch, he continued with an emphatic and caressing inflection of voice. Ah, we have had a happy life together, this poor darling and I. What would there be left for us if we had not that? We are so wretched, my respectable sir. We have arms, but there is no work. We have the will, no work. I don't know how the government arranges that, but on my word of honour, sir, I am not Jacobin, sir. I am not a Boussingot. I don't wish them any evil, but if I were the ministers, on my most sacred word, things would be different. Here, for instance, I wanted to have my girls taught the trade of paper-box-makers. You will say to me, what, a trade? Yes, a trade, a simple trade, a breadwinner. What a fall, my benefactor, what a degradation, when one has been what we have been. Alas, there is nothing left to us of our days of prosperity. One thing only, a picture, of which I think a great deal, but which I am willing to part with, for I must live. Item, one must live. While Jondrette thus talked, with an apparent incoherence which detracted nothing from the thoughtful and sagacious expression of his physiognomy, Marius raised his eyes and perceived at the other end of the room a person whom he had not seen before. A man had just entered so softly that the door had not been heard to turn on its hinges. This man wore a violet-knitted vest, which was old, worn, spotted, cut, and gaping at every fold, wide trousers of cotton velvet, wooden shoes on his feet, no shirt, had his neck bare, his bare arms tattooed, and his face smeared with black. He had seated himself in silence on the nearest bed, and as he was behind Jondrette, he could only be indistinctly seen. That sort of magnetic instinct which turns aside the gaze, 
caused M. Leblanc to turn round almost at the same moment as Marius. He could not refrain from a gesture of surprise which did not escape Jondrette. "'Ah, I see,' exclaimed Jondrette, buttoning up his coat with an air of complaisance. "'You are looking at your overcoat. It fits me, my faith, but it fits me.' "'Who is that man?' said M. Leblanc. "'Him?' ejaculated Jondrette. "'He's a neighbour of mine. Don't pay any attention to him.' The neighbour was a singular-looking individual. However, manufactories of chemical products abound in the Faubourg Saint-Marceau. Many of the workmen might have black faces. Besides this, M. Leblanc's whole person was expressive of candid and intrepid confidence. He went on. "'Excuse me, what were you saying, M. Fabantou?' "'I was telling you, sir, and dear protector,' replied Jondrette, placing his elbows on the table and contemplating M. Leblanc with steady and tender eyes, not unlike the eyes of the boa constrictor, "'I was telling you that I have a picture to sell.' A slight sound came from the door. A second man had just entered and seated himself on the bed behind Jondrette. Like the first, his arms were bare, and he had a mask of ink or lamp-black. Although this man had literally glided into the room, he had not been able to prevent M. Leblanc catching sight of him. "'Don't mind them,' said Jondrette. "'They are people who belong in the house. So I was saying that there remains in my possession a valuable picture. But stop, sir, take a look at it.' He rose, went to the wall, at the foot of which stood the panel which we have already mentioned, and turned it round, still leaving it supported against the wall. It really was something which resembled a picture, and which the candle illuminated somewhat. Marius could make nothing out of it as Jondrette stood between the picture and him. He only saw a coarse daub and a sort of principal personage covered with the harsh crudity of foreign canvases and screen-paintings. "'What is that?' asked M. Leblanc. Jondrette exclaimed, "'A painting by a master, a picture of great value, my benefactor. I am as much attached to it as I am to my two daughters. It recalls souvenirs to me. But I have told you, and I will not take it back, that I am so wretched that I will part with it.' Either by chance, or because he had begun to feel a dawning uneasiness, M. Leblanc's glance returned to the bottom of the room as he examined the picture. There were now four men, three seated on the bed, one standing near the doorpost, all four with bare arms and motionless, with faces smeared with black. One of those on the bed was leaning against the wall with closed eyes, and it might have been supposed that he was asleep. He was old his white hair contrasting with his blackened face produced a horrible effect. The other two seemed to be young. One wore a beard, the other wore his hair long. None of them had on shoes. Those who did not wear socks were barefooted. Jondrette noticed that M. Leblanc's eye was fixed on these men. "'They are friends, they are neighbours,' said he. "'Their faces are black because they work in charcoal. They are chimney-builders.' Don't trouble yourself about them, my benefactor, but buy my picture. Have pity on my misery. I will not ask you much for it. How much do you think it is worth? Well, said M. Leblanc, looking Jondrette full in the eye, and with the manner of a man who is on his guard, it is some signboard for a tavern, and is worth about three francs. Jondrette replied sweetly, 
have you your pocket-book with you i should be satisfied with a thousand crowns Monsieur leblanc sprang up placed his back against the wall and cast a rapid glance around the room he had jondrette on his left on the side next the window and the jondrette woman and the four men on his right on the side next the door the four men did not stir and did not even seem to be looking on jondrette had again begun to speak in a plaintive tone with so vague an eye and so lamentable an intonation that m leblanc might have supposed that what he had before him was a man who had gone simply mad with misery if you do not buy my picture my dear benefactor said jondrette i shall be left without resources there will be nothing left for me but to throw myself into the river when i think that i wanted to have my two girls taught the middle-class paper-box trade the making of boxes for new year's gifts well a table with a board at the end to keep the glasses from falling off is required then a special stove is needed a pot with three compartments for the different degrees of strength of the paste according as it is to be used for wood paper or stuff a paring-knife to cut the cardboard a mould to adjust it a hammer to nail the steels pincers how the devil do i know what all and all that in order to earn four sous a day and you have to work fourteen hours a day and each box passes through the workwoman's hands thirteen times and you can't wet the paper and you mustn't spot anything and you must keep the paste hot the devil i tell you four sous a day how do you suppose a man is to live as he spoke jondrette did not look at m leblanc who was observing him m leblanc's eye was fixed on jondrette and jondrette's eye was fixed on the door. Marius's eager attention was transferred from one to the other. Monsieur Leblanc seemed to be asking himself, Is this man an idiot? Jondrette repeated two or three distinct times, with all manner of varying inflections of the whining and supplicating order, There is nothing left for me but to throw myself into the river. I went down three steps at the side of the bridge of Austerlitz the other day for that purpose. All at once his dull eyes lighted up with a hideous flash. The little man drew himself up and became terrible, took a step toward M. Leblanc and cried in a voice of thunder, That has nothing to do with the question. Do you know me? End of Book 8, Chapter 19